straight back, straight through, forward press that putter, keep your wrists and hands still, putt it like a pendulum, just think about tempo, make sure you have a good ratio of backswing to follow through. Man, the list of things we've all heard about putting is long. And maybe some of them worked for you at one point, and then it stopped working, and you've chased the next idea, and the next, and the next. So today, we're diving into the accuracy, or lack of, of common best practices of putting, and sharing what matters and what doesn't, so that you can make smarter decisions about your game and what you're going to do to improve. This is the putting episode. Let's get to it. You're listening to the Golf Science Lab, where we're bringing to light important research and concepts that you need to understand to improve your learning and performance. Hey, I'm your host, Cordy Walker. Welcome back to a really cool episode where we're diving into putting with one of the experts in biomechanics who's fascinating, Dr. Rob Neal. Really great guy and just a fascinating look at this topic here today. If you're enjoying this, make sure to go back through the rest of our episodes. We've been diving into the golf swing and biomechanics over the past couple of months, and you're going to enjoy those. Subscribe in iTunes and leave a review there. would really appreciate it. One other announcement. If you're looking to step into the minds of some of the best golf instructors in the world, and you're looking to learn more about how and why people make swing changes and improve performance with students, you're not going to want to miss the Golf Swing Summit. If you ever watched some of the best golf instructors teach and you've wondered, why did they ask that question? Why did they suggest that change? Maybe you've always been wondering what's going on behind the scenes. Why do they do what they do? Because to us outsiders, it might seem like a little bit of a black box. And honestly, what separates some of these best coaches in the world from those that aren't quite there? It's their ability to make smarter decisions. And if we could peer into their minds and figure out the why behind their actions, what would we find? Well, that's exactly what we're doing. It's going to be a fascinating look as we have some incredible golf coaches and biomechanists explaining to us why they do what they do with the golf swing. Head over to golfswingsummit.com to check out the speakers that have been released and get the early bird tuition discount. Head over there, golfswingsummit.com. It's going to be incredible. Make sure to check it out. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by KVEST. KVEST has two primary systems. The KVEST, which is a four-sensor system, and the K-Player, which is a two-sensor system. Martin Hall recently shared his thoughts on the K-Player and how he uses it with students. I've never seen a piece of technology that helps people find the positions, or the angles maybe I should say, that address better than the K-Player. If you love golf, you owe it to yourself to look at the K-Player. Head over to k-vest.com and watch a full video with Martin Hall showing you the system in the real world and how you might use it. Our guest today has worked with some of the very best putting coaches and golfers in the world. His name is Dr. Rob Neal. I'm Dr. Rob Neal. I did a PhD in biomechanics way back in the 80s and then worked as a university a professor for 15 years before leaving that job and starting Golf Biodynamics, which is a company that uh, initially delivered 3D analysis and services to golf coaches. I met Dr. Neil at the World Scientific Congress of Golf this past year, and he's one of my favorite people to sit down and have a chat with because of his incredible experience on the research side and the practical side, his ability to tease out what's important and practical and what's not 
is fantastic. So when beginning this conversation with Dr. Neil, I honestly didn't know where we should get started. So why not start where we began with our look at the full swing with the kinematic sequence and go from there? Completely irrelevant in putting. Okay. Well, uh, we're not going to start there. Let's, uh, let's dive in then. In putting, the, the emphasis is not on generation of large amounts of energy and then transferring that energy, which is what the kinematic sequence is about, is being able to deliver lots of energy out to the club head at precisely the right time. I mean, a 90-year-old person can generate more than enough energy to hit a 40 or 50-foot putt. So it's not about um, whether they can produce the energy and then deliver it. The, everyone can do it. It's about how to most effectively deliver the putter and to control your body so you can be very effective. So when we looked at the kinematic sequence, we learned that it's about generating power in the most efficient manner. And with putting, well, it's not the focus. Because, for example, one degree in putting is the difference between making and missing a 10-foot putt. So the precision requirements are just extraordinary. The measures of success are very different in putting from full swing. So today we're going to be looking at some of the factors we haven't talked about this season on the full swing and just dive specifically into what matters with putting. Here's the process we're working with. And the process that I would typically go through is I'd examine what someone does with the putter first. So what their stroke mechanics look like, face angle, dynamic loft, path, rise angle, which is equivalent in, in the long game to attack angle, and then work my way from the putter back to what the body was doing in order to produce that particular pattern of movement. So the, the challenge then is to find the good elements in anyone's putting stroke and then be able to modify those things that are maybe disruptive in their technique and really make the difference for them between putting reasonably well and you know, putting poorly. So we're going to start with the club and then we'll work back from there. And Dr. Neal typically looks at a few key factors that he gathers from an initial assessment with someone on putting. The idea would be to have a, the putter head rising by one to two degrees up, so like in a, a positive attack angle, and then a face angle, a, a um, dynamic loft on the putter that would have been de-lofted from its normal static loft. So most putters have three or four degrees of static loft on them. At impact, you want to have that putter de-lofted by a couple of degrees as well. So it's one to two degrees of loft. That combination, so a putter rising and one degree, maybe as much as two degrees of loft on the putter, is sufficient to lift the ball out of the depression that it's sitting in on the green get it airborne enough so that it doesn't bounce out of the ground, but then begins true rolling as soon as possible. Key factors here, one is rise of the putter, the second is dynamic loft. These two really get the ball rolling well, and like Dr. Neil said, they're out of the depression that sometimes a ball will fall in on the green, wherever it might be. And too much loft, the ball might fly too far, too little loft, and it might jump and not roll well. 
Uh, I found a study done by Dr. Christian Marcourt of the Science Emotion Sports where they analyzed 99 tour players on the Sam Putt Lab and found an average of the group of a 2.8 degree rise in the putter head. One impact this rise of the putter had is that it applies topspin to the ball. So rise is topspin, and this other factor is loft. So your putter probably has between three and four degrees of loft. However, you're not going to deliver that loft to the ball because most of the times you're going to de-loft the club. So you'll start with a three-degree putter. Your angle of attack or rise is about two degrees, and that means you have an effective loft or dynamic loft of five degrees. And so to manipulate that, you'll often see people lean the shaft forward to lower that effective loft. So let's say that you have that three degree putter angle of attack or your rise is two degrees, but your shaft angle is two degrees. So it'd be like a forward press. So your effective loft went down by two degrees because of that forward press to three degrees. So perhaps the five degrees got the ball launching too far, not rolling soon enough. And so to do that, you'd add shaft angle or the forward press. So it starts rolling faster. And that's typically a good thing. So de-lofting the putter, it's a good thing. And flexion of the lead wrist in transition helps to make that happen. Another key factor in this puzzle is face angle. So face angle is going to help us figure out where the golf ball ends up even more so than the path that that putter head is traveling. So after missing that three footer, you might say that I pushed it out to the right and that's why I missed it. And you might assume that your path was what you pushed, but most likely it was face angle. Yeah, I, I think interestingly, Cordy, people describe pushing or pulling their putts and they think about that as the direction that the putter head is moving. It's actually almost almost irrelevant which direction the putter head's moving, it's where the face is pointing. So when you push a putt, you left the face open. If you pull it, you, you yank the face closed. Not really any indication of the direction that the putter head was moving. So face angle, super important, and that is the difference between the line from the golf ball to your target and where your putter is pointed. If you imagine a line perpendicular from the target to your ball, It'd be zero degree face angle. Any change away from that would be a change in face angle that directs the ball away from the hole or away from your target where you're intending to hit it. So um, if the two were lined up together, so the, the uh, vector that's normal to the face is pointing in the same direction as the putt line, then there would be a zero degree face angle. If the putter was rotated so that it was pointing to the right of the of the hole or the putt line for a right-handed golfer. You would call that an open putter face, and it's just measured in degrees. So it's very similar to the definition that TrackMan, FlightScope, um, Foresight Sports use for long game uh, when we're measuring face angle. I found a stat on face angle attributed to Dave Pels that 82% of the ball direction is from face angle and the contribution from path being only 18%. Although I can't vouch for the authenticity of this or where this comes from, I think it's interesting. And here's why that happens. You can have quite wide variations in path in putting because you don't have this big airborne phase where you create... Um, I'll call it side spin or tilt the spin axis if you want to in putting. Now, it makes a small difference, 
but it's it's very very tiny Cordy. so you do have an airborne phase in putting but it's not like you get curving of the trajectory of the golf ball because of spin effects as you would in the long game and in the long game that combination of where the face is pointing relative to where the center of mass of the club head is moving is the oh well are the variables that create the side spin so that's why path isn't very important but face is crucial to the start direction of the ball so to control that face angle and get it to zero degrees off the target line every time can we do a perfect straight back and straight through swing like we've been told so many times? Maybe use one of those countless training aids to perfect that straight back and straight through motion? The reality is that everyone we've measured opens the putter face up during the backstroke and then closes it during the downstroke. And everyone has some arcing to the path. So that's a no to that one. But Dr. Neil does have an idea of how you could do it. If you had your back parallel with the the surface of the earth so you bent so far forward that when you uh, rotate your upper torso around your spine the spine a- axis is parallel with the with the ground then i could imagine that a perfectly straight putter path would be appropriate but the only one person I know who comes even close to that in their setup would be Michelle Wee, who bends a long, long way forward. And maybe that was part of her reasoning is that she could have a, a very straight putter path. And But that's not, she, she is atypical. She's not the, the uh, average of, of what you would see when people are putting. I'm not sure about you, but that does not look comfortable or like a good option to go straight back and straight through like that. So we've talked about the club. Let's move our way to the body, see what's going on there. Because Dr. Neil gets people on his golf biodynamics 3D system, which measures the body as well as the club. So they have a complete idea of what's going on. And so we'll work up from the handle of the club. So we'll look at what's happening at the wrist joints, the elbow joints and then the shoulder joints, both the lead and trail sides, to examine what it is in this person's stroke who that we're examining here that opens the club face or the putter face on the way back and then closes it on the way through. And then are there movements of the whole trunk that may be then causing some of this inconsistency? So it really then is is a bit like you said, it's like opening up Pandora's box. There's no one solution that we would dictate is right for everyone because you better than anyone know how difficult it is to change a motor pattern. So we're looking for the things that will have the maximum impact with the minimum change. And sometimes that that might be just changing the putter or changing the loft and lie on the putter. If, if the stroke itself is really consistent but there's too much dynamic loft at, at impact, then the simple solution would be to change the loft on the putter, reduce it by a couple of degrees. Or if there's not enough 
dynamic lofted impact, then maybe the ball needs to be put further forward in the in the stance so that you could you make the same stroke but catch it at a different point during the the arc that the putter's making. If we're hearing this from someone as well-researched and knowledgeable as Dr. Neil, we can be pretty certain that figuring out how to help someone get more consistent with their body and putting is going to be a challenge. This myth that we've been told that putting is easy, just move your arms like this in a pendulum and you'll be fine, it works for everyone, just isn't reality. And maybe at this point you say, well, Cordy, I know I shouldn't use my hands and wrists during putting, that's something obvious. Maybe not. I can tell you, as opposed to what some people think, you know, that, that you should try to keep the hands out of your putting stroke. Every person we have measured, and we've measured hundreds now, have, every person has hand action during the stroke. So it's not like you can get rid of it. And in fact, it's probably a good thing to have in there. So what's going on here then? What does Dr. Neil see when working with players? The key to being a successful putter is to deliver the putter head with the right energy at impact and pointing in the right direction. Perhaps the, you know an understatement about it, that's simplistic. But you have to be able to do that consistently well. So you can't on one stroke be perfect and then the next 10 you know, be nowhere near the mark. So what you will see with expertise in putting is really high levels of consistency with putter head delivery. So if you measure them on a SAM or a, a GBD system, you'll find that the standard deviations of face angles and dynamic lofts and things like that are like 0.3 of a degree. So really, really low. And that might be over 10 or 15 putting strokes. So really low. But the, the levels of variability or the standard deviations as you move proximally in expert players increases a little bit and this is their mechanism of coordinating the stroke so if they pull a little bit too hard with the lead arm they can compensate by doing something different with the forearm and the hand in order to deliver the club or the putter with the precision necessary to make the putt if you didn't have this um, subtle coordination amongst the body segments involved in the stroke, then if one part of the body made an error on the, the stroke, then that would be it. It would be all over. And so, well, all of the guys that we work with, David, Paul Harian, and, and uh, Phil, are strongly of the view that this coordination of the body segments is one of the things that separates the good putters from the really good putters. So the really good putters have that ability to know, compensate or modify what they're doing within the stroke in order to produce the right outcome at the putter head. Wait a minute. One of the things we always heard is that putting is about doing the same thing over and over again exactly the same way. You have to be the putting robot, right? Well, what we just heard is it's more about being able to compensate well with the body to create consistency with which the club is applied to the ball. This coordination of body segments. This is amazing. Yeah, that's something that is really one of the things I would say differentiates 
good and bad putters and also differentiates good putters from the very best putters. So, and really the consistency with which the putter is, de is delivered here is what I'm talking about. So if I go and look at those club delivery data and I look at the consistency there, then I can predict based on those the likelihood that you would be a good putter. That might change some paradigms out there. I know that it was really, really cool to hear for me. There are a few other critical things that Dr. Neil mentioned to me worth sharing as well in our putting episode. One of the things that seems to be reasonably consistent with what people have been, had been doing on video prior was to try to get a line as you're viewing from down the target line the line of the putter shaft and the forearms uh, relatively straight. I mean, it's not in, in 3D, it's not really the same line, but visually that's probably a, a reasonably good thing. So matching the, the lie angle of the putter essentially with the flexion at the elbow, either trail or, or um, lead, it doesn't really matter. We have typically seen people who are good putters to have a relatively, what you would call, strong grip with the right hand so that it becomes more like a push motion than a, a hitting motion with that right hand. Now, I've you know, just used those terms generally, but that, that would be something. And then, but, it, but anyone who had a weak left and right hand grip, we found they, they were much more inconsistent in the delivery of the putter than people who had a relatively strong grip with their right hand in particular. So little things like that are, are pretty important to, to note. And then ball position is crucial again in terms of where on the arc that the putter is moving, the three-dimensional arc that it's moving, it makes contact with the ball. That common things that you might hear is that, oh, you need to be accelerating the putter head through impact. Well, uh, our work says that you should actually reach your peak putter head speed just at impact. And it's almost like it then glides through impact, gets decelerated when it hits the ball. And then there's maybe a tiny little acceleration afterwards, but you shouldn't be really hitting the ball or feeling like you're trying to accelerate the, the putter through the impact all the time. And I think that that's one of the uh, features that we've seen with the really good putters again, is that it's almost like the putter is gliding in, reached its maximum speed, it stays there, then it hits the ball, rather than it's accelerating, it's still accelerating, it's still accelerating, and then it collides with the ball. So that would be something for, for sure that would be a take-home message for for um, the people out in, in the golf consumer land. One other thing I want to tackle is length of stroke, because I'm sure we've all heard something like your backstroke is too long and slow, or you have too much pop in your stroke. So what's this tempo thing all about? I use stroke length, so backstroke to, to uh, forward stroke to follow through length. So really backstroke to follow through length as a way to manipulate the club velocity. So rather than telling someone to accelerate through impact, I'll just say, all right, if your backstroke length is one unit, 
long, then your follow-through stroke should be about 1.5 units long so that you feel like you're you're um, hitting through, but it shouldn't be like hit and then a long follow-through or hit and then only a really short follow-through. So that would help people get the right acceleration pattern of the putter head at impact. And then another thing that we often work with people on is tempo. I would say the majority of, of poor putters take the putter head back too slowly on the backstroke and then hit the ball. So um, often you'll see poor putters have a backstroke time of over a second, whereas good putters more like 650 to 700 milliseconds, maybe 800, uh, 800 milliseconds would be a typical tempo for the backstroke and then you know, 300 for the uh, forward stroke. So tempo is something that we work on and often we'll use a metronome to do that. This has been incredible. I don't know about you, but I have a much better idea of what's going on with putting and I feel like we've only scratched the surface. We'll have to dive deeper into this farther along into the Golf Science Lab podcast. Huge thanks to Dr. Rob Neal for joining us. If you want to work with him, whether you're a player or a coach, this is what it might look like. If they're the client, then typically I'd look at a one to two hour session, depending on um, what things they want to get out of it. And the initial session takes about an hour to do the analysis because I'll measure using video, ground pressures, and 3D. Plus, I'll have TrackMan to measure the what the club and ball are doing. And so we'll, we'll look at different clubs as well, so a mid-iron and a driver typically. And so that will give me a really good picture of what someone's golf swing's like and the areas that we could make changes to improve the areas that, or the, the things that they most want improvement in. So if it's speed, then we'll look at it from that perspective. If it's consistency, then we put on a different set of glasses and look at it from that way. So, And then often we'll spend the second hour or at least some of that time doing biofeedback training, which would be about the process of learning what something different in terms of a movement pattern feels like and being able to isolate the drills that are most effective for this person to practice on their own and but you want to make the, the best out of the time that they have available for practice. Check out what he's doing at golfbiodynamics.com. And if you get the chance to spend some time with him, definitely do that. Thank you so much for joining us. Make sure to head over to golfsciencelab.com slash insider to get access to the content first and stay up to date on what we're doing to document golf science. This episode was hosted and written by me, Cordy Walker. You can follow me on Twitter at Cordy Walker. was edited, mixed, and produced by Just at Published Productions. Music includes only instrumental by Broke for Free, licensed under Attribution 3.0 Unported. Let's start at the beginning by Lee Severe, Attribution 4.0 International. Simple Hop by Broke for Free, Attribution 3.0 Unported. Something Elated by Broke for Free, Attribution 3.0 United States. Drop of Water in the Ocean by Broke for Free, Attribution 3.0 Unported. And we'll see you all next week on the Golf Science Lab.